Do you know a high schooler who is a natural leader and loves to give back to their community? The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Student Visionaries of the Year program might be the perfect opportunity. Forming strong teams to support them, Student Visionaries of the Year candidates fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. This seven-week philanthropic leadership development program helps students gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Not to mention, it looks great on college applications. But most importantly, it's a chance for students to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it, and with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Saturday, January 30th. I'm laughing because when I did the extra bonus episode this week, I guess I said February 28th instead of January 28th. For those of you who caught that, neither Mark nor I caught it. And so we appreciate you. Thank you for letting us know when we botch things up. Okay. So for this weekend, we are responding to the flood of emails that we have received from you guys about this GameStop story. It's insane. I decided in order to make this more fun, instead of me just blathering on about it, I would invite my dear friend, Jeff Bacalar. He's the editor at large at CNET. He's been on the program before. And I wanted to bring Jeff on to talk about it because Jeff brought me onto a video for CNET to sort of talk about short selling and all those pieces. I wanted to bring Jeff onto my podcast so we could talk more about the story, have a little bit of time, you know, not be subject to someone chopping off the best stuff. You know, Jeff, the best part of our interviews always end up on the cutting room floor. Isn't that true? (laughs) Not when I edit it. (laughs) (laughs) When did we record that? So it's Saturday today, but when did we record our piece? When was that? Uh, It was Wednesday. So that was a crazy day. That was the day when GameStop was up by more than 130%. And then Thursday, it dropped by 44%. And then Friday, it goes back up. So it's this big seesaw. And I wanted to bring you on to talk about this because I'm not sure whether people understand that this is as much of a technology story as it is an investment story. 
First of all, for our listeners who may not be as familiar with Reddit, can you talk a little bit about Reddit, the platform, kind of how you understand its power today? So Reddit is the largest community platform on the internet. And it's basically made up of these things called subreddits, which are little categories within the sort of platform of Reddit. If there's something that is a thing in this world, there is a community for it on Reddit. So, you know, I frequent the subreddits for hockey and the subreddits for pinball and all the things that I'm personally into just like every, you know, uh, a hobby, every facet of, of human culture, there is a place for people to congregate and talk about, you know, the things that they're interested in. That is good and bad. You know, you have undesirable subreddits that pop up and you have uh, subreddits that do, you know, good in the world. The the communities are really diverse in lots of ways. Yes. And and so you can pretty much find what you want. Like I went on a subreddit to look at information for people who use the Peloton app on non-Peloton bicycles. <laughs> I, I just I just was like, hey, let me look at this, right? So sure. and it was it was actually incredibly helpful. And so, you know, people run into problems. Hey, my right pedal stinks, so does mine. What and, and so this is not to be seen as anything more, as you said, is a it's a humongous community. And the community talks about different topics. Fair enough? Yes. And it's gotten to the point, to, to your you know example that you just made, it's gotten to the point where sometimes searching Reddit is maybe a better idea than searching Google for something. Oh, that's interesting. Because you have so many uh, examples of human experience on Reddit, you know, especially when it comes to like the way we interact with products and the way, uh, you know, we sort of are honest with, with you know, experiences you know, that stuff is so easily searchable on Reddit. And you know what? I can't tell you how many times that I'm searching on Google for a thing. And one of the first returns is maybe a thread on Reddit. So you're going to wind up visiting that one way or another. Now, tell me how Reddit as a company, they were under quite a bit of pressure because there was like a bunch of misogynist stuff there. There's racist subreddits there, you know, so obviously in light of the news of, you know, essentially the last five years, mm -hmm. Reddit itself had to do some different kind of analysis of, you know, what's fair play out there, what should be taken down. So how did they do that? You know, Reddit is on the Internet. And with that comes a lot of, you know, responsibility and a lot of dangerous, you know, uh, people, really, to be quite uh, honest. So, you know, just like a lot of other platforms, Reddit has had to walk the line of, of really policing themselves in a way that makes sense, congruent with platforms like Twitter and Facebook and, you know, other social media uh, networks. So I think Reddit kind of does still, even though it is one of the most popular sites on the internet, it does still occasionally live in its own orbit and is not always under the same scrutiny as Twitter and Facebook. That said, they do a lot of policing. They do a lot of the platforming of, uh, you know, really awful stuff that does pop up on their site. It is this cat and mouse game that is really never going to be 100% safe and, and balanced, but I think they are responsible in, in a lot of ways. You know, there's always room for improvement with stuff like this. 
And, they, you know, they, they do get rid of subreddits. If a subreddit, a subreddit does wander into that territory of being, you know, malicious and, and, and violating their terms of service, they will terminate the subreddit or they will ban it or they will lock it down or they will, you know, take things uh, into their own hands and, and make sure that they are not offering a place for, for that sort of stuff to percolate. Okay, so now let's move on to the subreddit called Wall Street Bets. This is a subreddit. I don't know. I haven't checked lately, but I think it has three and a half million people who have been flooding onto it. It was on this subreddit where you had a lot of chatter starting a couple of years ago, actually, about buying and selling stocks. And it's been kind of a home for speculators. Let's just put it that way. I'm not saying who these people are because we don't know, right? There, there isn't a way for us to know who exactly is on this subreddit. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, you know, technically you can be completely anonymous on Reddit. I think a lot of people are. It's funny. You said, uh, what did you say? Three million people? Three and a half million, I think. Yeah. I just, I just looked. It's at six million. Okay. There you go. So uh, now it's been is, like doubles in days. <laughs> Right, which is just mind blowing. And again, and and we'll talk about this a little more uh, as as we you know move on here. But this was not a subreddit that had this amount of attention a week ago. You know, I think you had a a mix of people on this subreddit that really did come from all walks of life, but maybe perhaps dominated by a group of people who uh, maybe had a little bit of of, of money to invest, mm-hmm. uh, maybe were a little well off. Definitely operated outside of the normal Wall Street circles. And which is actually funny because the Wall Street Bets subreddit, there were some folks on there that were talking about GameStop, which, I mean, it's a brick and mortar video game seller. Jeff, when's the last time you walked into a actual physical GameStop? Oh, my God. Five five years ago, six years ago. I mean, if I had said to you, you know, what do you think about the fortunes of GameStop? And I asked you that a year ago, what would you have said? I would be surprised that they're still around. Exactly. So on Wall Street Bets, there was some chatter about GameStop. This was interesting because the it sort of has a Hollywood connection in some mm. respects. The guy that was featured in Michael Lewis's book, The Big Short, the, the one who bet against the housing market is a guy named Michael Burry. He had amassed a pretty big position in GameStop. He bought that stock. They were talking about that on Wall Street Bets. I mean, this is like 2019. It was like when stocks four or five bucks a share. And then last fall, little like more of like internet stardom, the bandwagon for the company got really big because the co-founder of Chewy.com, Ryan Cohen, he amassed like a 12 or 13 stake in the company. And this got the subreddit Wall Street Bets on fire. People right. were so psyched, right? And at that point, it starts to become something different as far as I'm concerned. I think there's like a real shift. Like I think that there are some people who are on Wall Street Bets who said, let's find some cool companies. They might be speculative, but you know, Jill and Jeff are sitting there having a conversation. It's at the dustbin of retailers. Maybe it isn't. Then you start talking about it, but then it became something different. It became a way to try to stick it to the people who bet against GameStop. Do you think, Jeff, that happened basically this year or was that last year also? I think it happened in the second half of last year. 
Okay. Uh, I think you had this community that was, you know, very transparent about their opinions. You know, like anybody could go on to this site and and read what was going on and, and sort of with very little research, very little time, you could figure out like, oh, they they realize that GameStop is being shorted in such a way that the opposite uh, approach could probably make you a lot of money very quickly. I don't want to say that Wall Street Bets is solely responsible for what's happened in the last couple of days, but they were absolutely the driving force for what happened. I do think once this, you know, sort of fuse was lit, I do think you had a lot more people realizing what was going on, jumping on that bandwagon. And now we're sort of in a situation where we know where it sort of all started, but we're not 100% sure of where it's currently you know, tug of warring right now, if that makes sense. Okay. So let's take one step back and um, Mark's going to kill me if I don't do this very succinctly. Here we go. Short selling. I think that a company is overvalued. I can make a bet against that company. And that means the way I do that is I don't own the stock. I borrow stock from an investment company. I sell it out into the marketplace if the price drops, I go out, I repurchase the shares, and i able to basically collect the difference. I sell it for 10, I buy it for five, I make five bucks. That's essentially it, okay? Now, if I go out and borrow the stock and I sell it for 10 and it goes to 15, then I am in the negative column. I've lost $5 on paper. The short selling can be very dangerous. Right. Because, Jeff, you know, if you went out and you bought GameStop and you said it's five bucks a share, I bought it. The worst you can do is see the stock go to zero. Right. Right. That would suck. But if I sell it at five and it goes to 10, it can just keep going up. You have a possible infinite loss. Exactly. We call it, you know, unlimited downside. I mean, you just can keep getting this crazy parabolic ride higher. So, now, so here's my question to you, though, real quick. So yeah. when you do borrow these shares, right, mm -hmm. when you're, you're basically borrowing from one of these brokers, mm -hmm. how does that relationship shake out? Are you borrowing at some sort of do you, do you need to pay some sort of fee to borrow? Because I think a lot of the, the confusion with people's understanding of the GameStop situation is hey, okay, so these guys are driving up the price, they're driving up the price. What's the end game? Is there is there ever a point where, you know, the money's due, you got to pay up? Is that what this is sort of, you know, leading towards? One of two things usually happens. The company where I borrowed the shares from it, they require me to keep some collateral. Like it's right. a loan, right? And so right. there's got to be money in the account, right? That is just, it's there for me. And it's there for the company. And then there's extra money in there in case the stock position goes against me, in case the stock starts to go up. You know, when you have a transaction, a short transaction, you got to like put up a lot of money. And if the stock goes higher, you have to put even more money in that account. So when you say, is there usually a conclusion? The conclusion is one of two things. One is the investment company says, hey, You've got to deposit more money in this account because this position is moving against you. Right. It's kind of like the casino saying, you're running this money here. We are on account. You got to put more money into the account and we'll continue to let you play. 
Right. right? Like your tab is in the red. Let's go. Exactly. Let's put a little more money in there. And so that's a margin call. So an investment company can say, put more money in the account right now. If you don't have that money, they can basically shut you down and basically call it quits for you. Let's say you do have the money. You put the money in the account and it keeps going up, up, up. Then what can happen is essentially what most short sellers do is they pick some point in time where they say, that's too much for me. They'll Mm. go out, buy the shares at the loss, send the shares back to the investment company and just get out of the trade. Like any bad bet, like, ugh, I made a mistake. Let me get out. Right. You know, a lot of people do this the other way. Like I buy a stock, I buy a mutual fund, I buy something, it goes down in value, it hurts too much, I sell, I get out. In this case, the investment company can force your hand in a pretty major way. Before all of this, Jeff, did you have, what was your opinion of a short seller? Did you have one? My exposure to that was, you know, that movie, right? Like that's- The big short. The big short and of course, trading places. Uh, you know, uh, my entire understanding of our economic system is only through the lens of, of film and and you. You know, it's funny when you bring up the person that, you know, the big short is adapted from. Yeah, Michael Burry. Yeah. You know, I think he is looked at as the hero in that. Right. And he does bet against everything. Right. Like and that and that is and that is the thing. I guess I'm sort of on the fence. Right. Because in this in the way this story is shaking out, you know, I think the narrative kind of places the GameStop shorters in a in a dark sort of shadowy light because you hear all this stuff about basically overshorting the company beyond 100% of the stock that's available. And, and you do think like, well, how is that okay? And how are they allowed to do stuff like that? And, you know, I've also read a lot of stuff where it's like, we need the ability to short stocks because in some way it keeps businesses honest and it sort of sniffs out the bad actors. So I guess I'm, I'm sort of on the fence still with how I feel about short sellers. All right. That is our first part of our podcast. Jeff, I'm going to make you stay on the line with me because God damn it, I want another episode from you. So uh, if you want more information about this, I encourage you to go to the website to jillonmoney.com. You can see lots of stuff about this story. And as always, if you've got more questions, then we would be delighted to answer them. Send us an email, askjill at jillonmoney.com. Pass this podcast on to anyone you know who wants to know more about the GameStop story. Also, parenthetically, it helps expand our audience, and we love that. As always, we remind you to please wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, and try to do something nice for someone else today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 